0: Teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. You have a kid, you have a plan to meet a kid. Um, we need to influence men, and I hope that today, as we walk through this, you'll see how that impacts the kingdom of God. Well, we're going to start at the beginning, Genesis one. We're not going to be in one place today, I'm going to be all over the place, so you can either chase me throughout the Bible, or you can just write down some notations of where we are and what we're talking about, and you can look these up later if you feel the need. Genesis 1, it says in Genesis 1, (coughs) excuse me, and by the way, thank you for those of you who are very kindly offering a handshake this morning, and I gave you an elbow, thank you for allowing me not to share my cold with you, I'm trying to keep that to myself as much as possible, it's not always good to share, so... Uh, someone shared it with me, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, in the beginning, God created, verse 1. Verse 3, then God said. Verse 4, God saw. Verse 5, God called. you get an idea going on here? God is doing things. In the first chapter of Genesis, we have God at work. And God is moving throughout this chapter, creating and doing what God does, and then we come to verse 26, and a weird thing happens, and if you're not familiar with the Bible as a whole, when you first read verse 26, there's going to be a moment of what is that talking about, because after we hear God did this, and God did this, when we get to verse 26, then God said, let us, Was you got a, a, a friend in his pocket, what in the world let us, where's the us coming from? We've got God out there in nothingness, creating from nothing, because only God can do that. God's creating, and all of a sudden, in verse 26, we have an us when we've never had a we. And we have to, in that moment, realize that from the very beginning, God is explaining to us that even in himself, even as he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, there is a community, there is a relationship, that God is in relationship even with himself. That there is an us in Genesis 1. That throughout God's word we have this community of the Trinity. One of my favorite verses in all scripture is Jeremiah 32 38. Now, that is not a um, uh, passage that we hear talked about a lot. I don't know why I'm looking it up. I can just tell you what it says. Um, I've got it right here. Um, Jeremiah 32 38. But here's the reason I love Jeremiah 32 38. I believe in Jeremiah 32, 38, we have the mission statement of the entire Word of God. Because I have people ask me from time to time, if you could take all that God says in the Bible and boil it down to one thing, what would it be and it's Jeremiah 32, 38? If the Bible had to, be, had to be submitted as one sentence, it would be this, Jeremiah 32, 38, I will be their God and they will be my people. It's everything the Bible is about. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now what do you hear in that passage? You hear relationship. I will be their God and they will be my people. You hear that? That God has a heart for relationship with his people from the very beginning of his word to the very end of his word. In fact, the story of the Bible, the gospel, is that we in our sin were separated from God. So now that that desire God has to be our God and for us to be his people is broken, that we have an inability to do that. So the entire story of the Bible is God redeeming us. Why? So that he could be our God and we could be his people. The plan when God created in Genesis 1, all the way through the book of Revelation, is to set this thing right, to provide redemption so that we could have community and relationship with God. The point is this. Our God is a very relational God. Our God is a very relational God. Community means a lot. So in the beginning, as God is working through um, all of this, and and I I make it sound like he went through the process like we did. I don't think God sat down one day and went, okay, creation, how are we going to do this? Day one, I don't want to do that. I don't want to work. Day two, fish, that's too early for fish. I don't have water. Okay, let's go back. Okay, he's not working through it like that. He and his sovereignty knows, boom, we do this, boom, we do that. Okay? But as God is doing that, he does everything as a part of his nature. And it's important that we know and that we understand that God's nature is relational. We have a relational God. And so in that, God created what? He created the family. God created the family. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the what? The family or the household of believers. That the Bible refers to those who belong to Christ, those who are in community with Christ, as not just the body of Christ, but the family, the household, the oikios. Okay? Those who are kindred with. Those who are related to. Okay? You have people in this world that you're related to. Now, you can be related by blood. Okay? Your mother, your father, sister, brother, all these different people that you're related to. You can be related by marriage. Oh, boy, can you be related by marriage. Okay? Your nephew gets married and all of a sudden, now you've got a niece-in-law. Is that the right term? A niece-in-law? Okay? Okay? You've got in-laws and outlaws, okay? You've got in-laws, and so you can be related by marriage. You can be related. Have you ever said this? And I bet you have. Walked in and said, hey, brother. How many of you walked in this morning and said to somebody in this room, hey, brother? Was that really your blood brother? Brother? No, it was your brother in Christ. You can be related in the body of Christ. God has put together this design and God has created the family. We can never get away from the fact that the family was God's idea, it was His original plan. It was not a reaction to Genesis 3 and the sin in the garden, it was His plan from the beginning. The purpose of the family is relationship. The purpose of the family is relationship. God is relational and designed the family as our primary source of community. If we were to go around and you were to share what are the moments of your life to this point that have been the most significant to you, more than likely they would involve family. Whether blood, marriage, or the body of Christ. And I'll tell you, if you've ever, and well, I'd say if you've ever, we've probably all been there. If you've ever been at that point where you're looking for a church home, you move to a new city or you've, you've changed jobs and you have to go somewhere different and all of a sudden you have to look for a different place to, to, to attend and be a part of a body of Christ, a local body of believers. I don't know about you, but I hate it. I hate looking for a church home. A couple of times, now, being a staff person, I haven't had to look for a church very often. Usually when they hire me, I just go there, right? But there have been a couple of times in my life where God's had me do different things. I've been involved in different ministries and there was two years where my uh, family and I lived in Mansfield, Texas, near, near Fort Worth. I was going to school, and, and during that time, uh, I felt like church staff was just not something I needed to do or was able to do as I was working on a new degree. And so we started doing this crazy thing of looking for a church. Now, Here's the thing. You walk in, and you don't know anybody. Who are all these strange people in this church? You don't know how they do it. Some of you are going, I felt that way last week here. Okay? We have things that we do here at Houston's First. They're very normal to us because we do them every week. But you walk in and go, I don't know what y'all are doing. I didn't know that that was there. Okay, That's going to be in the garden room. And you go, garden room? What the heck is a garden room? I don't know where that is. You're, you're here, by the way, in case you're wondering. Okay? When I first came to this church, I had a meeting. The first week I was here, and they said, we're going to be in the green room. I look forever for a green room. Until somebody goes, it's not green. It's just called the green room. And by the way, we changed the name. Now it's called the reception room. I have no chance of finding this room. There's all these things you don't know. Why? Because I'm not familiar. I don't feel like I'm a part of the family. But isn't there something amazing that happens? And I hope you've experienced this. At some point here at Houston's First and at other churches, where you've walked in and you've you've begun to get to know people, and it feels like family. And the body of Christ becomes what the body of Christ was meant to be, which is a family. You see, God created the family biologically and then mirrored in the body of Christ to be a family for us because he had a reason for that. Now, what is the role of the family? Well, let me ask you this question. If you hear the term generation to generation, what are some things that come to your mind? Somebody uses that phrase, that uses that term, generation to generation. What are some things that pop into your mind? Somebody tell me. Legacy, yeah. Traditions, yeah. Heritage. Generational sin, absolutely. And generational blessing. Yeah. What else? Mentoring. Yes, absolutely. when we say generation to generation, and all of you said that in what you've just answered, you see the continuity from this one to this one like links in a chain. in fact, if we could see the generations I had a, I had a, a guy in our church yesterday I was having lunch with he told me something I, I'd never known he said his father or his grandfather excuse me his grandfather had escaped escaped maybe the strong word, had, had immigrated here from Lebanon, okay. but to get here, he had to run out from the coast. He had to swim to a boat that was leaving to get on that boat that was going to the United States to be able to come to the United States. Okay. He was telling me about two links up in this chain. What had gone on? He says, I talked to my grandfather because I can never understand him. You know, he, he had a very strong Lebanese accent, and I could never understand him growing up, and I was trying to understand it. He was linking back to two generations before, and then he began to talk about things he learned from his grandfather, things he received from his grandfather, influences his grandfather had had on him, because generation to generation to generation, there's like links in a chain, and God has created that for us. There's this idea of things like values, excuse me, my voice is failing on me here, values, traditions, beliefs, priorities that are passed down from the older to the younger, from the parents to the kids. You see how and we kind of take it for granted because we live in this. But there is this generation to generation thing that happens in every society, every country around the world. Every country around the world, we see generation to generation things are passed down. Things are passed down. Whether they're real and tangible, as Adam was talking about over here, whether they're spiritual, as Eric's talking about, in the legacy, things are passed from generation to generation. Can I tell you something? That's God's design. That's God's design, and that things be passed down that way. In Genesis 9-12, God creates a covenant with Noah, and he says, Noah, this covenant will be for generations to come. What's he saying? Noah, this needs to be passed down and passed down and passed down. Genesis 17, God's covenant with Abraham for all generations to come. Abraham, this needs to go from generation to generation. In other words, what I'm telling you today is important enough that you need to tell your children, and your children need to tell their children, and it needs to be a part of this generational passing that is happening. In Exodus 12, they are told about the Passover, and they are just told to celebrate the Passover for generations to come. Passover is a big deal, folks. Share it generation to generation. Make sure your kids know how big deal this is so that it gets passed down. In Exodus 31, God's command to Moses, celebrate the Sabbath for generations to come. Big deal here, pass it down. And throughout Scripture, we see God saying, all right, big thing, pass this down. Make sure this is shared. Okay. If you've ever been, you might have heard somebody say this in a meeting, make sure this trickles down to everybody that needs to hear it. If you've ever been in a meeting and somebody said, you know, maybe it's a kind of an upper-level meeting of things that are being talked about, everybody that reports to you, make sure they know, and everybody that reports to them, make sure they know, let this trickle down. What are you saying? Let this go through the generations. And God is saying to Noah, and God is saying to Abraham, and God is saying to Moses, and God is saying to us, let the things that are important move through the system that I have put in place primarily through the organization of the family. Generationally to generationally to generationally. Generations is from the word generate. It means to create an ongoing entity. It is the continuation of the gospel. You see, back here in Genesis, where we started, God says, or God doesn't say it, Exodus in Jeremiah, but God shows us that He wants to be our God and He wants us to be the, or He wants to be God, and He wants us to be His people. But sin enters the picture. So he says, i got a plan for that. He begins to redeem mankind. How does he redeem mankind? Generationally. So he shares with the Father to share with the Son. So that generationally, God's gospel was intended to happen generationally. You see, when we look at evangelism today, we look at it differently. The kingdom of God is found in the passing of faith from one generation to the next. Okay, Joshua 4. They've just crossed the Jordan. Big deal. They've been trying to do this forever. They crossed the Jordan. And what does God say to Joshua? Get one man from every tribe. Go have that man get a stone. Bring those stones. And we're going to put those 12 stones together. And we're going to create a monument. And this is what he says in verse 4 or verse 6. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And you will say, generation to generation. Generation, God is saying, set up markers so that your kids will look at you and go, Dad, what does that mean? Grandpa, what does that mean? Uncle Bob, what does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. That means God was faithful here. And you can trust God because God is faithful. Now, how do we come to understand as a child that God is faithful? Because the generations above us witness to that fact. God is faithful. Through the family, God shares his plan to redeem mankind. Through the family, God shares his plan to redeem mankind. The best evangelism happens in the home. What you think about something for a second? In all of the evangelism training, if you've ever been to an evangelism training, and I'm sure a lot of you have been there, different techniques, different ways for you to share Christ with people. Okay, Most of the time, the focus in there is on that person you don't know very well, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's somebody you meet on the street, you stand in line at Target, and you learn how to develop a conversation with somebody. I had a friend who, uh, a pastor, and their church, their offices were in, a, were in an office building. They met in a school, kind of like our Cypress campus does, so the church offices were in an office building, they were on the third floor, now the pastor chose the third floor on purpose. He said, I want to have a lot of elevator rides with everybody that works in this building. So he told his people, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a testimony ready, depending upon the number of floor that they push. So if they're a second floor person and they get in with you and push second floor, you go, I got a second floor testimony. Hey, can I tell you about Jesus today? I got about 10 seconds. Going to the third floor, I got about 18 seconds. So he would say, this is how you share Christ with the people that are in this building with us. Probably every evangelism training you went to was on how you share Christ with someone maybe that you don't know very well. But can I ask you a question? What would happen if every generation was faithful to share Christ with the generation that came behind them? There'd be almost no evangelism for us to do. If every generation was faithful to share Christ with the generation that comes below them, their children, their nieces, their nephews, what if every coach, every teacher, every mentor was faithful to share Christ with the generations that they influence. You know what would happen? A really strange thing would happen. We would have trouble finding adults who don't know Jesus. Good evangelism training. God, I'd, I'd love to share Christ with somebody. I can't find a non-Christian. And everybody's doing so. I know that sounds funny to say that. But folks, what's happened is that generational plan of God to redeem mankind has broken down. We are not sharing Christ in the family the way God has intended for us to do. And we've missed it. It's a matter of effectiveness. There's no more effective way. Okay, Let's kind of back up in big picture here for a second. God's created this family. Why? Because he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. He's created a family so that generationally we can impact each other, older to younger, all the way down. And then he gives the task of evangelism to the older generations to evangelize the young. There's no more effective way. If we were to go out from here and, and we were to say, we want to see something go through our church, so we're going to start with the oldest generation in our church, and we're going to share it with them, and we're going to ask them to share it with the generation below them. They're going to share it with the generation below them. They're going to share it. Over time, if we were faithful to that, would every generation in our church know whatever it was? Absolutely. it's one of the most effective ways to share, and that was God's plan for the family from the beginning. Finally, number three, God's design of the family contributes to the health of the kingdom. So God's created this family He's created this system by which we can influence it's genera- 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 easy for me to say generationally to generation I could say that at eight in the morning. I can't say that at 6.30, okay down through the generations. how's that all right? And he's given the fathers and the mothers a role. Now <clears throat> gender specificity. Let's see, I can't even say that one either. That one is not popular nowadays. Found a website yesterday. You're gonna love the name of the website, Pagan Wisdom, by the way. PaganWisdom.com. Yeah, I bet you do. Pagan Wisdom is kind of an oxymoron paganwisdom.com says there are 63 genders in our nation. 63. I thought there was a man and a woman, but they say there's 63. 63, people. 63 different genders. Now, why would there be such a push? Can I tell you that, and I know you know this, our God has a plan, and our enemy has a plan. And our enemy's plan is for us to believe lies and not believe the truth. The truth is God created man and woman, two genders, to fit within the family so that mankind could be redeemed as the generations go. The enemy's plan is to break that down. So if you look at the attack of the enemy on our family, just in the United States in the last 50 years, the rate of divorce has gone up. It's an attack on the family. Why? Because if the enemy is effective in attacking the family, the enemy is effective in attacking evangelism. If the enemy can disconnect those generations, what God has put in place to redeem mankind in the most effective manner possible begins to break down. So if God can take a dad out of a home, or excuse me, if the enemy can take a dad out of the home, he can break down what was intended to be. Now, by God's grace, God is a redemptive God, and God can do amazing things, even in the midst of divorce. But the enemy's plan is to attack that. The enemy's current plan is to break down the genders so that there's not, a, there's not this idea of a man and a woman. And that goes way beyond same-sex marriage. You see, God has put inside a man characteristics that are needed for a child. God has put within men the characteristics of leadership and challenge. In many years of student ministry, one of the most common meetings I had was with moms who would come to me and they would say, My son, who used to be the greatest kid in the world, has gotten so difficult and so disrespectful. I just He is just a handful and he was always such a great kid. And I would always ask this question, how tall is he? And the mom would always say the exact same thing. A little taller than me? Well, he's right on time. Because there's a thing that happens in a young man when he realizes, I'm bigger than my mom. She can't make me do anything anymore. In that moment, that young man needs something very specific. And God, by his design, has put in place that person, a father. Not to go, well, sweetie, you know, you're a little, no, to, son, listen, don't treat your mom that way. You got me? Yep. That's the way that young man has been designed. It's for a dad to step in and lead and challenge and say, you will not treat my wife like that. Are we clear? That is so healthy for a young man. So healthy for a young man to hear that. God has put in place for men to have this role of leadership and challenge. It doesn't mean that every dad has to be mean and gruff and hateful and I'm going to, you know, you know the, old, the old thing, you know, I could get rid of you and make three more look just like you, okay? That's not what every dad has to be. Some of you will get that in a minute, okay? But it means that God has given men, in general, with differing personalities, one gender, but differing personalities. to to lead and to challenge. But God has made women to nurture and to support. Now, in differing ways, ladies do that differently. My wife played college sports. My wife tends to be a little bit more direct with our kids than some wives might be. So when one of my kids comes home and says, you know, I'm having trouble with my homework, my wife tends to go, well, maybe you should study more. But she's still supportive. She's still nurturing. She still has within her an incredible ability as a woman to nurture in a way that I can't do. I just don't have that knack. And God has created this complimentary, I can't say anything this morning, complimentary system by which a man and a woman can work. Dr. Tim Omar, who we had here a few weeks ago, to talk about parenting, said the best thing a child can receive is parenting that is both responsive and demanding. Responsive and demanding. Responsive is, what do you need? How can I help you? How can I support you? What, do you, you know, what is it I can need? for? I'm, I'm coming here to help you. Demanding is, get off your butt and do it. And when kids have an environment where they're getting both of those, not in contrast, but in complementation, where they're hearing not, not different messages, but the same message. I'm with you, but you know what? You've got to get off your butt and study. You get off your butt and study, your grades might be better. But I'll help you any way I can. You hear the message there? It's both responsive and demanding. And God has designed in the family for moms to have a role and dads to have a role. But divorce has messed up that plan. There's a lot of families where dad's not there. And I, as great as a mom can be, it's very hard for a mom to be both a mom and a dad. As great as a dad may be, it's very hard for him to be both a dad and a mom. And so we as the church have got to step into those situations for the health of the kingdom of God. Remember, this is God's plan to redeem mankind. To step into a family that's a single parent, a mom that's a single parent and go, how can I help you? The men in this room, you can have a tremendous impact on the single parents of our church Just step in and go, "How can I help you?" We were somewhere one time, and my wife was by herself. A lot of times, my wife is mistaken as a single parent because I'm on staff. We came here, and uh, we've been attending here. We've been, I've been on staff here for about six months. And my wife was going to a Sunday school class; she was going by herself because I'm doing all the stuff I have to do on Sunday morning. Finally, a lady in the in the in the class said, "Honey, you know, maybe we can get your husband to come to church." She said, actually, he comes to church. He's on staff. I just look like a single parent because my husband's working. Okay? But you know what happened one time? When we came here, our kids were really young. Our kids are all teenagers now, but our kids were really young. And I don't know who it was. I have no idea. I have no way to ever figure out. But there was a man in our church on one Sunday morning. My wife's trying to wrangle our kids because I'm off doing something else. And a man stepped in, and he said to one of my, one of my sons, he said, Young man, listen to your mom. So oh, I said, The influence, and my boys, rightly so, because they know better, said, yes, sir. The influence that happens, even in that moment where I was absent, not because I was out of the home, but because I was out of the presence. God has created that for us. Here's the foundational question for parents. This is something God has been giving me, and I'm coming, every time I talk to parents now, I'm asking them this question. Moms and dads, are you preparing the path for your child or are you preparing your child for the path? I think that question divides parents into two camps, two kinds of parenting. Are you preparing the path for your child or are you preparing your child for the path? Here's what I mean by that. If you're preparing the path for your child, you're clearing every obstacle. Everything that comes along, you're taking care of it. You don't get the grades you want, parent calls Teacher you gave my kid a D. They deserve a B. They're a really good kid. I want you to change to a B. I'm clearing the path. Somebody, somebody said something mean to me on the bus. Well, give me their name and I'll call their mom and dad. Right now, I'm gonna, I'll, you know, I'm gonna deal with this. I didn't get, I didn't get this, and I, I wanted to be on the basketball team and I didn't make the team. Give me the coach's name, I'll call him. That's clearing the path for your child. That's being being a snowplow. I'm out in front of my kid and I'm just plowing. I'm just making this as easy for my kid as I can. And every obstacle that comes along, I'm going to take care of that obstacle. I'm going to get it out of their way because my role as a parent is to take care of my kid and make sure they never have a problem. Can I tell you something? That's going to be awful when they're an adult. Because they're going to be 25 years old and they're not going to know how to do a thing. Because you've been clearing the road for them the whole time. You know what our kids need today more than anything else? It's going to be a strange thing to say. They need struggle. Almost everything I learned in my life that is of value I learned in struggle. Almost everything I learned when it was hard. We need to prepare our child for the path. When our child comes home and says, I didn't get the grade I want. Well, maybe you should study harder. How can I help you? Don't blame the teacher. How do I, how do you, maybe you study harder. How can I help you do that? I didn't make the basketball team. Okay, we'll practice more. Next year, maybe you'll make it. That's mean. No, It's not. That's being a mom or a dad. Really, that's being a dad. And you step in and say, I want you to learn how to be a man. I want you to learn how to be a young woman. I want you to learn how to be an adult. And in that moment, we, we move generationally generationally. You all are familiar with the term complementary goods. Basically, uh, a printer and ink are complementary Sales of printers goes up, sales of ink goes up. They complement each other. It's hard to, hard to run a printer without ink. So if, if printers are cheaper than they used to be, the people that sell ink for printers are going to make more money because people are going to be buying more ink. Okay? One affects the other. God always intended for there to be a mom and a dad. A lot of times in our families nowadays there's not. We have as many families in our church who don't have mom and dad married as we do to do, It's over fifty percent now. So what do we do? We give up? No, it's not the way it's supposed to be. We have to give up? No. What do we do? We step in as the church and we do what we can do. I want to encourage you. This last thing, we're going to move to our questions here. I want to encourage you to keep your eyes open for places that you can influence and invest. For a, for a mom who's doing the best she can, but her husband or the father of her kids are not in the picture. And you step in, do what you can where you can and make a difference. i have got three questions there at the bottom for you to go over. Number one, well, two questions in an, in an activity. Number one, what are some ways you can strengthen relationships within your family? doesn't matter what your family is or how old your family is. Maybe your kids are grown. Maybe you don't have kids yet. Maybe you're talking about your siblings or your parents. But what can you do to strengthen relationships within your family? Number two, how can you share Christ in your family? We need to be evangelizing there first. We need to be evangelizing there first. And then I want you to end this way. Show the name of a family member who needs Christ and you all pray around the table for those people. Okay? God created the family. It's part of his redemptive plan for the kingdom. He made it so that we can share evangelism generation to generation. But moms and dads have to step in. Grandmas and grandpas have to step in. And we as the church have to step in to influence the generation that comes behind. Okay? Yes, sir. Number two. Uh... Through the family, God shares His plan to redeem mankind. Okay, all right. Uh, mankind to redeem mankind. Through the family, God shares His plan to redeem mankind. That work. Anybody get any other blanks you didn't get? Okay. We are you a chosen generation. Call out the Thank space. you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We we'll meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the garden room at Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.